0: Hello, good to see you guys. I'll tell you what, I, I've heard many people say that, that you've missed me the last couple of weeks, and it's, it's nice to be missed, I must say, but I have no doubt I have missed you more. And there have been many times over the last couple of weeks that, uh, that I have thought of you and I, I wish that you were experiencing what I was experiencing in Israel, but, um, but I, I hope to share some of that with you. In fact, over the next uh, few weeks, in the next handful of weeks, I just want to share with you uh, some, of, um, some of the things that the Lord really ministered to me through uh, uh, this wilderness experience as it was. Uh, this trip that I went on, it, it wasn't like a normal kind of trip to Israel where you might get in a van and drive around and look at sights. It was, it was follow the rabbi kind of thing. The last couple of weeks I hiked about 100 miles in the wilderness, in the mountains, and I never knew where I was going. Uh, there was a group of us, and we were following a rabbi, a great leader, a great man of God, a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we experienced the frustrations of not knowing where we were going. And then when we finally arrived after, after hours of hiking at our site, we began to unpack Scripture, and we realized this is what happened in this particular site. And so we tried to experience um, Scripture uh, in, its, in its original context. So with that being said, I, I wonder if I ask you guys to give me some descriptions. Who is God to you? Um, what would you say so let's just hear about it let's just testify in one word one word descriptions you guys tell me who God is tell me who Jesus is okay let's let's hear it okay awesome all at once best friend and what else did we hear best friend love what else savior what else father what else healer healer forgiver Hope. Creator. Absolutely. God is all of these things. But if you were to ask somebody um, in an Eastern culture, like the Middle East, like Israel, with an Eastern mindset and an Eastern perspective, who is God? You're going to get one word answers that are pictures, that are metaphors. You're going to hear things like this God is my rock. God is my fortress, God is my strong tower, God is my shelter, God is my shade, God is the bread of life, God is my living water. And so we, in, in, our, in our Western mindset, uh, think with a with, with very Greek-like mentality, and that's in lists, but in the Eastern context, in the Eastern mindset, they think in pictures, And the Bible is an Eastern document, and the Bible is written in pictures, and therefore we've got to explore the pictures to understand the fullness of who God is. And so for the next handful of weeks, I want to just walk with you in a series called Zealous, and I just want us to be zealous for Jesus Christ. And I pray it really renews your heart and restores your spirit and restores your passion for Christ. I pray it restores your passion for the local church and your ministry, for the glory of God and for a lost and dying world. Zealous. And today we're talking about being zealous for the living water. My first impression of Israel, the Holy Lands, was that it was an incredibly harsh land. I mean a harsh land. Um, In fact, I I have a picture of it, this is one of the pictures I took of of the harsh land. Now. They told me in preparation for this trip that I needed to drink water. So I thought, well, I drink plenty of coffee, and coffee has water in it, right? Well, that's not quite what they were trying to communicate to me. So I drank a couple of cups of water, you know, a few days before I went. So therefore, I found myself the first 24 hours of hiking in Israel with a pounding headache, and I was the guy that was throwing up the whole time. I was that guy on the the trip. See, I had in mind a couple of cups of water. They had in mind a couple of liters of water every single day. So I brought this with me to kind of show you what my life has been like in the last couple of weeks. I'll try to do this for you. All right. I hope I don't make a mess. So this is only like 1.8 liters. so. So we're coming up on our site, and we know that we're going to be hiking for you know, all day long out in this desert, a flat-out desert. And so water became our lifeline. So we would get ready, and I learned that this was my lifeline. I kind of started feeling like I was an astronaut about to take a spacewalk and making sure that my uh, oxygen was all taken care of because I, I, I became very dependent on this water. So I would just pour it in like this. Now again, I'm used to like a couple of cups of water. This is only about a 1.8 liters. This would usually be two liters. And I would go through a, easily a couple of these, a couple of these a day. So then I would do that. And then I got actually pretty good at this. I got pretty fast and then I would just close it up like that and then I would go like this. Then we'd be there and it'd be time to get out of the van, it'd be time to go hiking. I would put this on, I'd buckle it up and I had this and this was my lifeline. In fact, we had these uh, these guides that were with us, they were at the back, they were in the middle. And they kept saying over and over, I bet I heard a thousand times, keep drinking, keep drinking, keep drinking, keep drinking, literally, I think I heard it a thousand times, keep drinking. Because this wilderness was harsh, it was jagged, it was hot, it was desolate, and this was our lifeline. You see, the thing about the wilderness is that the wilderness drove us all to realize and pursue our need for water and we realize that the wilderness is a metaphor because life itself is a wilderness it is a desert and the purpose of the stress is to drive us to realize our need for the living water so we have to keep drinking and keep drinking of Jesus Christ so if you have your Bibles open it to John John chapter 7 if you would And I'm really excited about sharing this wilderness experience with you. There are actually uh, three kinds of deserts in Scripture. Uh, The word wilderness or desert or some variation thereof is mentioned literally hundreds of times in Scripture. And it's referring to three different types of desert or three different types of wildernesses. Uh, The first type, uh, the wilderness in this Judean and this Israeli area is called Midbar. Midbar. Now, when you think Midbar, you should think West Texas. How many of you guys have been to West Texas? All right, not the, not the pretty parts of West Texas either necessarily, but just sort of West Texas. I mean, it's hot, it's dry, but, but you, can have a, you can have cattle, you can have sheep, uh, animals can graze, there's shepherds, there's crops, there's life. That's Midbar. Uh, we, we see the reference to Midbar in Isaiah 43:19 Behold I'm doing a new thing now it springs forth do you not perceive it I will make a way in the wilderness or Midbar and rivers in the desert or Midbar now, the second kind of desert throughout Scripture is Siyah. Siyah, it's spelled T-Z-I-Y-Y-A-H. Siyah. Now, when you think Midbar, think uh, West Texas. When you think Siyah, think desert. Maybe somewhere in New Mexico desert sort of region. There's no trees. It's flat. There's rocks. It's harsh. But there's still life there. We read about Siah in Isaiah 53, for Jesus grew up the, the prophecy of the Messiah like a young plant, and like a root out of Siah or a dry ground. It's a thirsty ground, it's parched ground. And in Jeremiah 2:6, listen to this, I think it's an incredible definition, an incredible description of Siah. They did not say. God says, when when you weren't giving me glory, when you weren't giving me honor, when you weren't trusting in me, they did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through. People don't pass through Siah. No men dwell in Siah. It's Harsh. It's desert-like. So when you think of Midbar, think West Texas. When you think of Sia, think desert. But then there's a third kind of wilderness that Scripture speaks of, in, in the Hebrew, it's Yeshimon. Yeshimon. Now, when you think of Yeshimon, think—I kid you not—think Mars. I mean, the dirt is orangish red. There are no plants. There are no. There's no water. There's not even dirt. It's rock on top of rock on top of rock, and the only dirt would be gravel. You can look, as you can see, that you can look, it looks like an ocean of wilderness, as far as the eye could see, and there's no sign of life. Yeshiman, think of Mars. When I was standing here, and we were getting ready to hike just four hours through Yeshiman with our camelback back backpacks where we sip water the entire time uh, with our uh, $200 hiking boots that somebody blessed me with, which was awesome because I hiked 100 miles and my knees never hurt, and that was a miracle. But when, when we were hiking through this, through this wilderness, this Yeshimen, I kept thinking, the children of Israel, when they left Egypt and they were wandering through this desert, they didn't have these hiking boots. They didn't have these backpacks. They had their sandals, they had the sun that was beating down on them, and as far as the eye could see, there was no water. They didn't have somebody telling them, keep drinking, keep drinking, because there was no water to drink. There was no food to eat. I mean, you might find an occasional snake somewhere, but there's a million Hebrew children wandering through this wilderness, this yeshiman. And for the first time, I understood the grumbling of the Israelites when they left Egypt and entered into this wilderness, which I've preached many sermons against their griping and complaining, but I actually understood it. I understood it. Where were they in Egypt? They were in the best of the lands. Do you recall? Moses I'm sorry, Pharaoh had favor upon Joseph, and Joseph's family came, and they began to multiply, and God gave them the best of the land and the most powerful of countries. That's what they were used to. Albeit slaves, that's what they were used to. So when they left the best of the land and the best of the countries of the world at that time, and they left Egypt, and they walked into that Mars, I could understand why they would begin grumbling and saying, we need to appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Granted, they weren't walking by faith but the wilderness is harsh and listen to this description of it oh god when you out when you went out before your people when you marched through the wilderness the yeshiman pilgrims of faith in hebrews chapter 11 it writes of of whom the world was not worthy watch this they were wandering about and this description of yeshiman in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And I was watching this wilderness, looking at it. I mean, uh, maybe an occasional scorpion, maybe uh, somebody might have spotted a snake, but no water, no animals. And I thought, how did a million people eat for not four hours as we journeyed through, but for 40 years? How did a million people eat as they followed Moses? How did a million people drink as they followed Moses through this wilderness? I thought there's no way. But by the power and the provision of God... This is why God caused the water to flow out of the rock and he watered his people. This is why God caused the manna to come down from heaven and he sustained his people. This is why God led his people by a pillar of fire at night and of a cloud, giving them shade during the day because he was providing for his people. He was taking care of his people. And as I was looking at this Yoshima and looking at this wilderness that very literally looked and felt like Mars... I knew that there was only one way that the Israelites made it those 40 years, and that was with the very provision of God. Now, we we praise God for parting the Red Sea, and we should, and we praise God for uh, delivering His people from Egypt, and we should, and for raising up deliverers, and we should, but we oftentimes forget to praise Him for sustaining His people through their wilderness years as they wandered. But God didn't want His people to forget about how He walked with them and carried them and comforted them and sustained them and provided for them and gave them food and water in the wilderness. Therefore, He gave them a feast, a feast to partake of every single year so they wouldn't forget. And this feast was called the Feast of Booths, or another word for tent, or the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot, a Feast of Tabernacles. So after these the, the, during and after these these wandering years in the wilderness, in Leviticus chapter twenty three, God instructed His people once a year. It was toward the end of September, toward the beginning of October, to take seven full days out, and this is going to be a week of celebration. Now, this particular feast, the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Booths, it's surrounding the timeframe of the of the Passover. And the Day of Atonement, which are heavy, 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 solemn, heavy, heavy ceremonies. And so God said, when it comes to the Feast of the Tabernacles, when it comes to the Feast of the Booths, I want it to be joyful. I want it to be celebrative. For a full week, I want joy. I want prayers. I want praise. I want dancing. I want celebration. And so for an entire week, the Israelites would leave their homes... And that's, it's called the booths or the tabernacles or makeshift tents. And they would set these tents up, thousands of them, around the temple mount, this mount, Mount Moriah, where the temple or the tabernacle was. And they would set these tents up, thousands of these tents all around. And the entire nation of Israel would gather in these tents for an entire week. And and up around the temple, there would be these torches that would be lining the temple at night. And they would be singing and they would be dancing and they would be rejoicing and they would be praising and they would be chanting over and over, Maim Haim, Ma'im Haim, which means running water, as if rain is 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 causing water to run and causing a spring to rise up and flow with force. By the hand of God, not by nature, but by the very deliberate hand of God, Maim Haim, running water, living water. They would chant over and over, all week long, throughout the Feast of Tabernacles, Maim Haim, Maim Haim. And the high priest would get a golden cistern. And he would have this golden cistern. And he would be at the altar in the temple, and all the Israelites would be all around. There would be wine, and there would be uh, joyful hearts, and they would be praising and praying and chanting, Maim, Haim! And in this golden cistern, he would, he would, it, would be, it would be very ceremonial, and all, all Israel's eyes would be on the priest. He would walk to the pool of Siloam. And he would get water out of the pool of Siloam, and all of Israel again, like a parade, and would be chanting, Maim, Haim, Maim, Haim, and, and the, the tabernacles were to remind them that they were sojourners, they were pilgrims in the wilderness, the, the, the booths, the tents that they would set up, and, and they would get the water out of the pool of Siloam in this golden cistern, and, and he would hold it up, and everybody would be chanting, Maim, Haim, and, and they would be chanting that, running waters as he pours the water. The water is a water um, offering on the altar to remind them that in their wanderings, God provided for them every step of the way with water. And this feast lasted for seven days, and on the seventh day, the priest would have the golden cistern from the, from the pool of Siloam, and he would walk up, and they would be chanting, Maim Haim, Maim Haim, Maim Haim, and on the seventh day, he would walk around the, the altar seven times, and they would continue to chant, Maim Haim, and then he would pour the water on the altar, and they would remember that God sustained them throughout the wilderness, and God will continue to sustain them no matter what they're going through. And with that, let's pick up with John chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Jesus had been healing on the Sabbath, tensions growing. Now, the Jews' feast of the booths or tents or tabernacles or Sukkoth was at hand. So, Jesus knows that that the Jewish leadership is seeking to kill him, but he also knows that all of Israel is to gather around the temple and these tents. And is he going to show up or is he not going to show up? Well, nobody sees Jesus as the days begin to unpack in this seven day feast. Where is Jesus? Nobody sees Jesus, but He's there. He's low-key. He's incognito. People are whispering not openly for fear, but people are whispering to one another. Do you think He'll show up? Do you really think Jesus is the Messiah? Who is this Jesus anyway? Well, He's from Nazareth. How can the Messiah be from Nazareth? It's just a a mystery, but how can you deny His authority and power? So again, do you think He'll show up? I hope He doesn't show up because they're probably going to arrest Him. I know they want to kill Him. All this whispering is, is circulating all through the nation of Israel is they have these booths set up all week long and Jesus is in their midst though they don't know it he has probably a hood over his head and he's just walking through this entire time and then let's kind of unpack how this particular feast of tabernacles Unfolded. It's day one, and everybody's screaming, Maim Haim, Maim Haim, the running water, the living water. And day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, and now it's day seven. And now let's go to verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, so the high priest, he has the golden cistern, and he went down to the pool of Siloam, and he filled it up, and all of Israel is screaming, Maim Haim, in fact, let's shout it, let's say that, and, 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 and raise your hands like this, Maim Haim, Maim Haim, Maim Haim, Maim Haim. So that's what was unfolding with, with about a million people, Maim Haim. And so the priest, he walks up into the temple and he's circling the altar once and twice and three times, four times, five times, six times, seven times, and let's hear you chant Maim Haim again. Maim, haim. And then as the people are continuing to chant, the high priest, he stands up so that everybody can see him, and he has the golden cistern, and right before he pulls it on the altar, that's when Jesus makes it his appearance. In the midst of all the shouting, Jesus' voice arises raises above everybody else's, and right before the high priest pours the water, Jesus then stands up and he cries out in a loud voice, If anyone thirsts! Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus just declared himself to be the living water. And yes, it was commemorating The Israelites wandering throughout the wilderness, but so much more than that, it was pointing to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who would quench every thirsty heart and every weary heart with His Spirit, through faith in Him for salvation, but not only that, through daily trust in Him for daily provision. See, the wilderness is a picture of life. In the wilderness, we have a stark need for shelter and sustenance. We're faced with sudden danger, and we learn to cry out for divine deliverance. We experience intense renewal and transforming encounters with God. No wonder that all throughout Scripture, before God ever uses somebody mightily, He first sets them in the wilderness to wonder whether it's Moses or Elijah or John the Baptist or Samson. The list goes on and on. Or Ruth and even and especially our Lord who fasted in the wilderness for 40 days. Because it's the wilderness that drives us to realize and to search out our need for water. Metaphorically. It drives us to search out our need for living water. The only thing that can quench our thirsty hearts. And so... With that, Reggie, would you throw this next picture up? just want to take you guys to this um, really amazing place called the Springs of Engedi. And what's so awesome about this, just historically, is that this was the place, the caves that, Jesus, that, 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 that David hid before he was king when Saul was chasing him. And it was the place in the springs of Engedi where he hid out and Saul made his way through and went into the cave and David cut a corner of the, the cloth off. That was the place. But it was a really beautiful place. And in the middle of the wilderness, just as the scriptures say, in the middle of the desert, in the middle of Yeshiman, was this cool, beautiful spring of perfectly clear and perfectly fresh water. And, you know, as we live life, what tends to happen is we tend to look for satisfaction in our heart in places outside of the living water of Jesus Christ. And this is just a, it it was a moment for me where the Lord just renewed my heart, and in an instant, uh, my heart had, had one craving, and that was Jesus Christ in the living waters. And it was a renewal time for me, and and that was one of the times, in fact, that I wish that all of you were with me, and this is why we're going to take of communion, though I can't take you to Springs, and for us to all just dive in and, and just to, to recalibrate our heart's ambition and desires and thirst to Christ and Christ alone, but you know what? We can, we can partake of communion together at the altar, and, and we can remember what Christ has done for us, and we can recalibrate our heart's thirst and our mind's ambition to Christ and Christ alone. Thank you, Reggie. But let's look at this verse, and I just want to draw three applications from it. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And I just want to draw three practical observations from this text. The first is this, in order to experience your heart being fully alive. And isn't that a powerful statement? Jesus said, I have come so that you might have life and life more abundantly. Fullness of life, powerful words and a powerful promise. So powerful, in fact, that we've rightfully allowed those words to become familiar to us. But unfortunately, they've become so familiar to us that they've lost the power. And so let's dust off some of the familiarity and try to hear them with the, with the renewed freshness. Jesus said, I want you to have abundant life, life to the fullness I don't want your heart to thirst. I I want your heart to be quenched by me. And that's how you're going to have abundant life and life to the fullest. So, three observations from this promise. First is this in order to experience the fullness of life by drinking deep of the living waters of Jesus Christ, which is a prophecy of the Spirit that He gives, one, you must be thirsty. You must be thirsty. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, this isn't for the person whose heart is not thirsty for water because they've tried to quench their heart with, with, um, as the scriptures say in Jeremiah 2.13, broken cisterns. In Jeremiah 2:13, God said, "You've committed two great evils against me." Here's the first: You've forsaken me. It's a fountain of living waters. And the second is that you've hewn out broken cisterns that can't even hold water. I went down into one of these cisterns and broken cisterns as well. It's all rock. You know, we tend to picture Jesus carving tables and carving chairs as he's being a carpenter. The only problem with that image is that there's no trees hardly in Israel unless you go way up north and Jesus lives south around Galilee. But what was there a whole lot of? Well, there's a whole lot of rock. There's a whole lot of stone. Jesus was a carpenter, but he was a stone cutter. There wasn't a demand for wooden houses. There was a demand for stone houses. That's why 2,000 years later, there, 3,000 and 4,000 years later, some of these houses and, and, and buildings and, and synagogues still remain. And so in the rock, they would, they would carve out these canyons and and it would have rock and 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 so it would it was supposed to hold water and they would they they would carve them out so if it did rain it could catch a river of rain but the problem was if if these cisterns became broken then it wouldn't hold water or it'd be dirty and contaminated water and God says these are the two things that 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 you've committed against me, the two sins that you've committed against me, here I am at the fountain of living water standing by myself because you've forsaken me. To go to a broken cistern that doesn't even hold water in the water that it has, it's contaminated, and it'll make you sick. But as long as we're at the broken cisterns, we don't realize our, our thirst is for Christ. Have you abandoned Christ at the fountains of the living water to go to some broken cistern? It might be a very immoral broken cistern. It might be an amoral broken cistern. It's neither necessarily good or bad, but it's in place of Christ, which makes it idolatry. The broken cistern might be promiscuity. It might be pornography. It might be a drug addiction. It might be alcoholism. It might be work, it might be TV, it might be social media, it might be Little League. It's whatever you put before Christ to seek out to satisfy your thirsty heart. And they're all broken. Because none of these things are going to be able to sustain you or raise you up from your sickbed. None of these things are going to be able to promise you eternal life. None of these things can can carry you through the dark night of your soul. When the enemy comes against you like a flood, have you abandoned Christ at the fountain of living water to seek satisfaction in some broken cistern? Then you might not realize that your heart is thirsty. Second, not only must you be thirsty, but secondly... You must know where to drink. And we drink from Jesus Christ. We trust Him for our salvation, and we continue to trust in Him for our daily provision. We trust in Him for our salvation. Yes, our eternity is secure, but we must continually drink for sustenance, for joy, for strength, for hope, for boldness, for peace. See, it's not that I just like drank a whole bunch of water in the morning. No, this thing... The thing about the the desert is this. If you're in the desert and you realize you're thirsty, you're in trouble. It's already too late. That's why. Just sips. Two liters. Just keep sipping. Just keep sipping. Just keep sipping. It's constant sipping. And in the same way, we drink of the living waters of Jesus Christ by continually communing with Christ. Continually sipping. Continually stay connected to Christ. God is the living water, and we commune with Him through prayer. We commune with Him constantly through His Word. I'll bet 75%, if not 95%, of Christians in the Capital C Church in the United States has neglected the Word all week long. We have to continually commune with Christ in prayer and continually commune with Christ in the Word When Jesus was in the wilderness and Satan tempted him to turn the stones into bread, Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is our sustenance and obedience. We talk a lot about grace, and we should, and we will continue to. But one of the first things that I noticed about the culture when I landed was that when we were walking, there were these lines, and I thought they were telephone lines. They weren't telephone lines. You, know, you want to know what they were? They were boundary markers. And it was in the people's backyard, and then there was fields that they would work, and it wasn't telephone lines, it was boundary markers reminding them not to work on the Sabbath. And I'm all about Grace. But I saw afresh their passion for obedience, the Jewish passion for obedience, far exceeds many Christians. And the irony of it is, if they don't have Christ as the Lord and Savior, then the Spirit is not in their heart, and they can't attain the obedience that they strive for. But now that we have the Spirit of Christ, we also have a command to be perfect and be holy, as God is perfect and God is holy. Though we can obtain that perfection through the Spirit of Christ, we lack the same passion that they have and this is why incidentally we don't have spiritual momentum in our life it's because we lack obedience and obedience is a way that we continually drink from the living waters you don't believe me don't be obedient and see how your heart will begin thirsting and momentum in your life will just crash And then we'd continually drink of the living waters through God's people. We need people to show us how to drink in our lives of the living water. We need people to remind us, keep drinking, keep drinking, keep drinking. I know I do. So it was my first first full night there, and I thought, okay, I think this is going to be a really long day because my head was pounding and I thought I-, I haven't drunk enough water. I mean here in Fort Worth there's humidity, in the desert it's like anti-humidity, it's like the atmosphere just sucks water out of your system. And I had this pounding headache and I thought okay this is going to be a long day. And I wanted to throw up, but I, in fact, oh I did throw up during breakfast. And I was in the bathroom, and everybody was eating in the kitchen, and everything stoned, so my vomiting just echoed all through everybody's breakfast. And that was sort of mark the pace for the whole day. But you want to know what? I saw some amazing things. I mean, where David killed Goliath, where Samson was probably buried, where Goliath grew up. Harsh, jagged, rough environments. Um, I mean, the Dead Seas, the Jordan River... Uh, the, the, the rivers of Engedi, the wilderness, and the list just goes on and on and on and on. But perhaps the most beautiful day for me, perhaps the day that you guys prayed for me, because I know many of you prayed that I would get a fresh glimpse of Jesus Christ, was that first 24 hours where I had a pounding headache and was throwing up the whole day, the guy that was holding everybody else up. Because they were there... Um, talking about where Samson grew up and where he probably met Delilah and where he's probably buried and all of this and I'm back at the back like this because I'm going to throw up any second and I do but let me back up the night before when I was trying to fall asleep because I had this really bad headache sometimes when I can't sleep I roll scripture scripture through my mind and the scripture I was rolling through my mind was Psalm 91 He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow, the shadow of the Almighty. And that word shadow was always poetic to me, but never entirely meaningful to me. So here I am, and the sun is beating down on me, and I have this horrible headache. And then I just feel this temperature drop and this coolness come over me. And I look up. And there a man, he served a couple, he's a young guy, he served a couple tours in Iraq, he lost some friends, he's a Marine. And he was standing right beside me like this, intentionally blocking me from the sun and allowing his shadow to protect me. And I just wanted to start weeping. Because the whole night before I was praying, I was just rolling that scripture through my head. He will cover us in the shadow of the Most High. And I understood from an Eastern perspective how valuable a shadow is. And that same man and another guy went over and they got these bandanas off of other people and they kept their waters uh, refrigerated at night and so they, 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 they just soaked these bandanas and they put them over my neck and they put them over my head and they just encouraged me And then somebody else came over and said, I've got electrolytes, let me put that in your water. And somebody else said, here, you need to get something in your system. And then that entire day, I was the least of these. And I experienced so much kindness, so much compassion, so much tenderness. And it was beautiful because I knew that what I experienced was Christ in the flesh. And the glimpse that I got is what our church is to be. We are to be Christ in the flesh to one another through kindness, through compassion, through tenderness, through love, and this is something that quenches our heart, and this is another way that we can keep on drinking. You must know that you're thirsty. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts second, you must know where to drink. Christ is the living water. And we taste this deep living water through this prayerful relationship with God, His Word, obedience, and God's people. Sometimes people say to me, I don't really need the church. I just want just to just backhand them, you know? It is so unbiblical. You do need the church. And people who say, you know what, I just don't need community. I just don't need the church. I'll guarantee you they're people who have stopped drinking. They stopped drinking. So the next day, after this 24-hour day where I, it was a tough day, but a beautiful day, was uh, Mount Qumran where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Essenes, you know, copied scripture and it was a tall mountain, a harsh mountain, a steep mountain. And so we hiked up halfway. And this incidentally happened to be the day that I thought I'm feeling better. I'll, I'll carry an extra water in my pack for others. And I got up halfway and realized this was the wrong day to volunteer for that. And he says, okay, if you guys are struggling, you stay here. But the rest of us are going to go to the very top, which incidentally is where Jesus went in the wilderness to pray and, and, and to resist temptation. And so it was very difficult to get to the top of that mountain. I was not 100% yet. It was 110 degrees, but we finally got to the top of the mountain, and I had an extra bottled water. And guess what? I I got to take my water out, and, and I got to give my water to anybody else who needed water. And I found something that was more satisfying than experiencing the love of Christ firsthand through others, and that's having an overflow of water to give to others who are thirsty. And this is the third principle that we learn, and that is that you will not only be satisfied, but you will become satisfying. This is the promise. Jesus said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So let me just kind of recap these three points. One, are you thirsty? I think we make two really big mistakes here. One, we forget we're in the wilderness, and two, we don't know where to drink. Secondly, do you know where to drink daily? Keep drinking, keep drinking, keep drinking. And if you keep drinking every day throughout the day, your heart will not only be satisfied, but you will be satisfying to others. So, I believe that Jesus gives to you what you need to take away. As a church family, we've got a couple of action steps together. One july 23rd um, that guy that marine who lost a couple people and he came home an alcoholic uh, from one girl to the next though he was married his wife walked in on him with uh with women and in and out of jail and this was her prayer oh god joey may never love me but let him love you oh jesus let him love you and this guy came to christ and this guy has a passion to see people drink of the living waters. And so I asked him, I said, would you please just come to our church on Sunday, July 23rd. It's Just kind of, kind of a Q&A. And, and, I, and I want to invite you, I want to challenge you to round up the lost causes in your life you know that guy or that girl who's beyond hope because that was Joey. And we're going to hear about what his heart was like before Christ, what his heart was like after he lost these Marines and how Jesus changed his heart. And this guy has so much joy now. In fact, there are some other military guys, some, some, some veterans and, and combat veterans. And <clears throat> Joey was, was very tender to people and maybe, maybe bandaging their sores or their blisters. And one of these other military guys made fun of him. For, and he said, here's the thing. He said, Jesus changed my heart. I, I used to fight and get drunk and be with all kinds of women. But, but he's made me gentle. And I just love Jesus and I want him to shine through me. I mean, he's a completely transformed heart. So I want to challenge you Sunday, July 23rd to round up those lost causes, start praying for them, and then they're going to come here, and then we're just going to shout to them to to, to drink from the living water, and we're going to hear from Joey how Jesus can truly change the heart. Would you commit to that? Would you commit to not just drinking of living water, but not just being satisfied, but to satisfy others with living water? And then something else. Are you living in isolation? I mean, are you just off by yourself? Are you living in the context of community? And this is something else that we're going to be talking about from an Eastern perspective, from a picture-esque Eastern worldview. What is it really to walk in community? And are we zealous for this? Or are you being isolated? I mean, do you? Do you, <clears throat> do you slip in here, sing us a few songs? Not really worship, but sing a few songs, kind of slip out without being involved in community? Or are you walking in the context where people know you and they pray for you and they encourage you and they continually cheer you on to drink and are you doing the same for them? So go to your home groups and commit and don't just go but love. And not only that, but on the evening of July 23rd, Joey's going to come out, and both services will be together on that morning, and then that evening we're going to be at LMRA or uh, whatever the new name is now, and we're going to have, say, volleyball and baptisms and, and a barbecue, and we're just going to do life together, and, and I just want to encourage you to come out for that, and it's kind of like God um, commissioning a day of rejoicing, and we're going to show up, and we're going to rejoice, and we're going to enjoy one another, and, and I ask you to please, please make that a priority. We read in Psalm 107. For he satisfies the longing soul. This is a promise. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. He turns deserts into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. Would you stand with me, please? Reggie, could you throw that picture of the springs of Engedi back up there? <clears throat> I wished I could take you here. After we talked about the living water and we'd been walking in the we were walking in the wilderness for, for hours and and then it was kind of the invitation, but it wasn't come to the altar and kneel. It was a dive in. And and I didn't wait and all of my clothes and I just ran and I dove in and I stood under the living waters or the, the running waters that symbolized the living waters. And I just prayed, Take my heart, God, my whole heart. And I repent for trying to find satisfaction in anything, good or bad, moral or all moral, other than the living waters. And I wish that we had the fountains right here. And I could invite you just to run and do a swan dive into them. But we don't. But what we do have is something better because Jesus commissioned it. And this is communion. So as we enter into this worship song, it's festive, it's upbeat, it's celebrative in light of... in a a wonderful spirit of the Feast of Booths and the Feast of Tabernacles. And I want to encourage you to worship. But not only that, come down and get the bread and get the juice and then find a corner. um, Go back to your seat or or kneel down here at the altar or find a corner and pray and repent for thirsting for things other than Christ to satisfy you. Repent of that. And then hit the reset button and re-up and say, I'm going to seek you, Christ. Forgive me. Forgive me for seeking satisfaction in broken cisterns, whether it be money or positions or prestige or pornography or promiscuity or some addiction or little league, whatever it is. Forgive me for not thirsting of you and going to you to drink, and forgive me for not being passionate about not just being satisfied by Christ, but to be satisfying To others on behalf of Christ, repent, repent. If you just come in and slip out, you're called to be satisfied by Christ and you're called to be satisfying to the body of Christ on behalf of Christ. Let the living waters flow over and love one another, encourage one another. Motivate one another. Pray for one another. Lay hands on one another. Show hospitality to one another. Get into one another's lives. Don't walk in 20 minutes late rubbing the sleepy out of your eyes and not think about Jesus the rest of the week. Satisfy your heart in Christ and be satisfying to one another. Repent if that's not the quality of your spiritual heart. Partake of communion on your own around here, spend some time with the Lord, and then just uh, enter back into worship with the rest of the church. So the altars are open.